Bibles this morning and turn to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. Most likely today we'll be looking at verses 32 through verse 35 in your Bibles. Hebrews chapter 10. We're looking here now in Scripture of an encouragement with an appeal to persevere. Here are, in our text, there is sandwiched between an exhortation for believers to worship God, and then last week I looked at the warning intended to provoke fear, and then, of course, an appeal this morning to believers to persevere, for it says in verse 36 of Hebrews 10, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what? was promised. Now, the three things that I've already mentioned that needs to be included in our approach to God are, number one, followers of Jesus Christ are to enter the holy place with confidence. And of course, the challenge was for prayer, and of course, prayer being the highest expression of of the Christian's lifestyle of faith. A second thing was followers of Jesus Christ are to draw near with sincerity. And that included drawing near with an honest and a cleansed heart. Thirdly, the followers of Jesus Christ are to hold fast the confession of faith together. That included two responsibilities. The first responsibility is to hold fast yourself And then the second responsibility is to mutually encourage others to hold fast in the body of believers, in the gathered assembly. And so these responsibilities had it also included in exhortation in verse number 24 or in verse number 25. And it's of course, it's this verse. Not forsaking our assembling together as a habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is an admonition that is given very strongly, and the failure of some to continue attending the gatherings of the community is cast not just in the realm of neglect, but actually of wrongful abandonment. That is the first step in which people are letting go of truth, letting go of doctrine, letting go of the profession, and moving away from God's program to sanctify his people, to make them like himself. So, brethren, no matter what the condition may be, believers are to stick with Christ's local church, and we should also exhort others to continue attending faithfully, especially, in verse 25, in the light of, of the Lord's soon return. The Lord is coming. We know that. We do not know when. We can't put a date on it like some people try to. We know He's coming. We should be ready every single day. And part of being ready is to be faithful to the gathered assembly, to be constantly be growing in truth because it's going to benefit you. It's going to be a reward to you. Now today, that brings me to my fourth, the fourth thing, 
The fourth and fifth thing that needs to accompany our approach to God, now most likely I'll just do the fourth one, and the fourth one is this, that followers of Jesus Christ are to keep near with confidence. Now in verse number 32 of Hebrews chapter 10, it says this, but remember, brethren, the former days. Down, look down to verse number 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. Now, that's the sandwich that we have this morning. There comes a message of encouragement after the strong warning passage, coupled with an appeal to persevere. Now, I want you to notice in verse number 32 of chapter 10, what are you saying? To believers, that is to the gathered assembly who are to carry out his appeal, which here is packaged as an imperative. Now, an imperative is a command. And here's the command that he gives them. And the command is this in verse number 32. But remember your former days. Remember the former days when after being enlightened. Now, that's the command. Remember is the command. Remember, which points to, in the passage, something in the, happened in the past. And the meaning here is he wants them to call to remembrance. And the word actually for remember is to weigh well, to weigh something. In your thinking, to weigh something you're thinking about. It's something like when we say, now that's heavy. We give a measurement to assess that what we are hearing or what we are saying has weight to it. When we talk about the glory of God, we are actually talking about the weightiness of thinking about the awesomeness and the greatness of the God who's created the heaven and the earth and who we are to think about that has great weight to it. So anything that has great weight to it, we must consider in our mind and think through it seriously. That means it's going to benefit us to think about what he's asking them to think about. Now, remember. Remember well and weigh the period of persecution you went through not long after you received the light. Look at the passage again in verse 32. It says, remember the former days when after being enlightened. Right? So that he is saying to them, listen, right after you became believers, right after you received the light, that means you were converted to Christ and baptized Persecution came quickly into your life. Now, why is the author of Hebrews, with his pastoral spirit, asking them to seriously review their past cruel circumstances? Asking them to review in their mind their past painful circumstances, usually... We don't want to think of things that are painful. Usually we don't want to go back to the times that were hard. We don't want to do that. 
but he's specifically asking them to go back and review what happened. Because it is going to give you the confidence to persevere in the faith. The reason why he asked them is because if they look closely enough, and if we look close, closely enough to the times of trouble, to the times of suffering, to the times of humiliation, after becoming a believer, we will discover things, and we will learn things there that we will learn in no other place in our Christian walk. So he's asking them to look closely. Why? Because there's two important facts that come to light when they look closely at their persecution. Number one, it had proven their confession of faith to be genuine. In verse number 23, let us hold fast the the confession of our hope without wavering. They didn't waver in their confession, but held fast. Brand new believers. These are brand spanking new believers. And they're holding fast. Why is that? Seems impossible. A second thing It had shown that they had gained much more because of the persecution than they could ever lose here on earth. They had gained a proven character in persecution. In other words, persecution matured them spiritually. Persecution matured them spiritually. It is... Very similar to what Paul taught the Romans when he said in Romans chapter 5, verse 3, not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulations brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And they find that out and we find that out that God really loves us while we're going through trouble. While we're in the pressure cooker. After conversion. So they as well as we are called to think about what we gain in Christ and what we must lose if we shrink away. To think about this correctly, there is a call to consider the great paradox of the Christian life. What is that great paradox? It's this. That the Lord's children can be in the midst of trials, in the middle of tribulations, and under great humiliation, and be weighed down and depressed in their spirit. And at the same time, have a heart that is greatly rejoicing. And may I say, that it is in these circumstances we grow spiritually and mature in the faith, more than anything else. That is why we are to examine more closely the times the Lord has and will again bring us into and through 
times of suffering, tribulation, and humiliation. It is there and there alone we begin to see with the eyes of faith and learn what we have gained by being in Christ. It is not just a profession of faith. It is a relationship with God that goes on every single day. And if we're, no, we're, if we're to know anything that means anything in our life, one place we're going to learn it, and God has ordained it to be so, is in suffering. It is in trouble. It is when the bottom drops out. It is is when you're faced with something that's way bigger than you, and you realize at the same time that that tribulation and suffering and humiliation is doing something. I tell you what it's doing. It's challenging your profession of faith in Christ. Now, when those past sufferings are looked at more closely, and in this passage of Scripture, six things become evident to what they have gained and what we will gain too when we go through our suffering. And if you notice in verse number 32, the first thing that is gained is that we, what we gain is light. Now look what it says. But remember the former days after being enlightened. It is the word for light here. It's, it's really to be enlightened spiritually. It to, it's to be instilled with saving knowledge. It is the saving knowledge of the gospel he's talking about here. He's saying, literally, before you heard that message, before you came to know Christ, you were in darkness. You and I, before conversion, were dead with no spiritual hunger, no desire for the bread of life or the river of the water of life, or for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We had no thirst for righteousness. We were in darkness. We had no light. Everything in regard to God's grace and to all spiritual things were dead to us. We were spiritually unresponsive. Then we were born again. Then the light of the gospel came and shone brightly in our hearts and we began to see. Our eyes were open spiritually to our condemnation before a holy God. Our sin was before our eyes and we saw ourselves undone and doomed. And the only one who could save us is Jesus Christ. See, we were born again into God's family, and we were quickened by the Holy Spirit, and we were made alive to the things of God, and there was spiritual movement in our spiritual life. And the proof of that life was we knew something we didn't know before, right? Before I was in darkness and unsaved, now I'm saved. Now I'm born again into God's family. Now the Word of God becomes alive to me. And see, it's like what he says, we know that we have passed from death unto life. And one way they know that is because, in, at least in First John, is they love the brethren. They got pulled 
out of darkness, not into their own single little realm, but out of darkness into the ecclesia, into the gathered assembly, right? Ecclesia means to come out of something into something. And of, so, of course, that's what, the, that's what the church is. That's the word for the church. Now, I'd like to point people to the fact that once someone gets saved, becomes a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, they also walk into a spiritual realm in which they will experience spiritual conflict. Different things in this realm will challenge their faith, will test their profession, will test what they believe, and will test how they're living their life. When Jesus gave the parable of the sower, he said in Matthew chapter 13, the one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky place is this man, who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy and yet had no firm root in himself, but it was only temporary. And when affliction and persecution arises because of the word, he falls away. So see, it is the persecution and the affliction that is going to test your profession. It's going to test whether you are or you're not a believer. In this case, it wasn't. And then he also says in verse 22 of Matthew 13, and the one whom seed was sown among the thorns, this man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. See, there at every step, our, challenge, the, our profession in Christ Jesus is going to be challenged. For this challenge, Believers will need endurance. That's not willpower. That's not being stoic about life. That's not have, having a stiff up, upper lip. That's not any of those things. This is spiritual power to live your life. Because in tribulation and suffering, something will be experienced. And that's this, the ability to supernaturally persevere and live for God in the middle of suffering, in the middle of trouble. And not giving any thought to give up your profession of faith, not giving any thought to throw in the towel because I didn't have these troubles before. So see, you need endurance because the Christian walk, if you haven't discovered yet, is a struggle. It is a battle. It is a fight for the faith. Isn't that what Paul said? I've ran the race. I fought the faith. I fought for the faith, right? And he puts his head down to get chopped off. See, that's what the Christian walk is about. So it's going to be the struggle. So the first thing that is gained in Christ is light to see. But a second thing in that, within that, under that light is that we are in a new realm. We're in a spiritual realm now, and so we need endurance. Now, if you look at chapter 10 of Hebrews, the second thing gained, and the th- second thing the writer of Hebrews wants the people to see is that they were given this endurance 
And look what it says in verse 32. It says this, But remember the former days when, after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings. So the second thing gained was they gained endurance. They gained endurance as to a struggling athlete that is striving to reach the goal. And his, his, his motive is to reach the goal. His desire is to reach the goal. Not to sit down on the bench. It's like a soldier in battle who his desire is to win the battle. To take the hill. To be victorious in the war. That's the sense here. That they were given the ability to endure great conflicts of suffering. And in fact, it is that word, their endurance to be remain under, to tarry under, or here to be brave and calm under ill treatment. See, that's what he is saying there, that this ill treatment came upon these believers as a direct consequence of their of their embracing the Christian faith because they had opened, they they had become open followers of Jesus Christ. The epistle of James also gives us the sense of the place of trials and endurance, the things, uh, the places that these play in our Christian pilgrimage. When he says in James chapter 1, verse 2, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, Knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result that, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So not only did they gain light, but they gained endurance. And then there's a third thing they gained in their enduring, and it's this. They realize they can't endure alone. Not just the power of the Spirit of God upon them, but they can endure without the church. So the third thing they gain is a deep appreciation for the church body. Look what it says, that these believers became involved in spiritual combat in verse 33, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulation, in other words, partly by being public objects of open de- demonstrations of hostilities. And then notice in verse 33, partly by being loyal to their brethren who were so treated. And it says, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. In both cases, the church body became the place of strength and encouragement. And notice this little phrase, become sharers, actually, it's a share in not your own personal conflict, but a share in the conflict of someone else in the body. So the Greek word is a very familiar one. It's the word we have heard, koinonia, is the word for what? Fellowship, right? Well, here it's in the plural sense. So it means that, listen, you are to be sharers together in this suffering. That those Christians who are most likely not even of their local congregation and possibly not even Jews because this was a a gathering of basically Jewish Christians, but they were followers of Christ. 
So he is saying to them, listen, you entered into fellowship with those who, because of their faith in Christ, were reviled and abused and hunted and caught. And some were imprisoned and some were sent to death. And you willingly practiced koinonia and entered into their suffering people being outcast and downtrodden. See, he is saying to them, listen, your confidence is building because in your suffering, you did something supernatural. You did something that you would have never done before. You would have looked the other way when it came to persecution and suffering of someone else, but you didn't. You not only looked at their suffering, you entered into their suffering with them. That's significant. Because that is telling them that they have a whole different worldview. That their whole, their whole worldview is, is holistic. It's including everything that they didn't have before they received the light. They were self-centered and selfish. They wanted things just for themselves. And they avoided tr- trouble and persecution and problems at the highest cost. And, and so they manifested their real and vital appreciation of the unity of the body. And these Hebrew Christians had been given proof that the unity of the church must be maintained by acting together and in the power of the Spirit. It's like what Paul said to the Corinthian church, so that there may be no divisions in the body, but that the members may have the same care one for another. And if one member suffers, what does it say? All the members suffer with it. Only God's Spirit can do that. See, and that proves that something, God did something in your heart. That proves in your normal circumstances and your abnormal circumstances like suffering, God is doing something. He's holding you. He's keeping you. He's building you. He's making you mature in the faith because that is not something any one of us like to do is enter into someone else's sufferings. That's only something God causes us to do. And they did it as a church. Because one of the members of the body were hurting. The whole church felt that pain and felt that suffering. And so they pursued it and did something about it that's supernatural. See, that gives me confidence to know it's not just my profession. God's working in me. He's doing something in me. He's changed me. I'm new. Old things passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And this is part of the new me. In Christ Jesus. But there's a fourth thing that goes along with this that they gained. And the fourth thing is sympathy. And it goes along with it. Look what he says in verse 34. For you showed sympathy to who? The prisoners. They were acting in the spirit of Christ, their high priest, who was meeting needs through the church. Remember what it says in Hebrew 4. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. But how does God meet our weaknesses? He meets it through the body of believers. He meets it through the gathered assembly. He gives us, by the Spirit of God, the ability to have compassion on people. We talked about compassion this morning. One of the first things for real evangelism. To really care that someone out there living in darkness is heading for hell. If they don't come to Christ, 
if they don't receive Christ. And so you're moved with compassion on their souls. And because you have the answer, you have the truth. You have the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ to tell them. So in this word, there is a sense that the affections are inwardly moved. See, others became more important than yourself. And with the inflow of the love of God in your hearts, it cures your self-centeredness and your selfishness. And you find grace to gladly share the burdens and trials of others, though you know it will cost you. Anytime you enter into the burdens of others, it will cost you. It will cost you your time. It will cost you money. It will cost you your own sense of peace. But you know what? You realize it is worth it. And not only that, you're being moved by the Spirit of God. Because again, in Hebrews chapter 13, turn over there quickly. In verse number 3, he mentions to them again. And he says this in verse 13 of chapter Three, or chapter 13, verse 3. Remember the prisoners. Look at what he says. As though, in, as though in prison with them. And then it says, and those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves also are what? In the body. Again, what is he talking about? He's talking about the people who have it, uh, appreciation for the gathered of believers assembly of believers because in the gathered assembly is strength to go out and help those people who are hurting and persecuted and in this case people who are in prison and that the whole church he is saying to them remember these prisoners as though you were in prison with them even though you're not in prison with them they are you're not because usually when somebody is somewhere especially in a prison locked away what do we tend to do Forget about them, right? Out of sight, out of mind. The Spirit of God is not going to allow you to do that, and if he doesn't, it proves you're converted. It proves God is doing something supernatural in your life. And there's a fifth thing that is gained. In verse number 34, notice what he says. Here's it. The fifth thing is joy. While losing affection and attachment for temporal things, he says in verse number 34, for you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. Brethren, if someone came and knocked on your door and had the authority to take everything you have, would you take it? Joyfully? In the flesh, no. In the spirit, yes. Because, see, your worldview has changed. You don't think anymore of just about things, about your things. In other words, he is saying here, listen, there was a joy unspeakable and inexpressible going on in you 
when they came to take your earthly possessions away. And that joy was there because you have calculated that what you gained by being in Christ could not measure up to any materialistic gain or temporal per- pleasure anyone could take away from you. In other words, if you don't give me your pro- if you don't if you denounce Christ and reject Christ, you can have your home. But if you don't do it, we're taking everything you have. See, that was a, a great choice that I had to make. And any one of us would look around and say, well, wait a minute. Uh, I don't know if I could do that. But see, when the whole of life is different in Christ Jesus, and that life is what? It is short in light of eternity. Things that we have are only temporal and only for this world. See, so we shouldn't live for them. We shouldn't be storing up treasure on earth, but we should be storing up treasure where? In heaven. It's Matthew, uh, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then Paul, excuse me, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, gold perishable, your faith not perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found, what? In the result of the praise and the glory and the honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, The way we think about life has changed. My life is short. Eternity is long. I have the light. I see the truth. I see what's going on in the world. I see that I could live for temporal things. I see that I can pour my life out to make a lot of money. But I also see when I look in the world, it all falls away. It all drops away. And see... I begin to conclude that it is not worth giving up Christ for temporal things, for possessions, for money, for prestige, for power. It is not worth it because all those things are temporal. They're going to pass away. They're going to pass away with the earth. But my word never passes away. Your salvation, your faith is eternal in Christ Jesus. No one could take that away from you. And see, this is what he is saying to them. This this is what gives you confidence. So here's the question. What got you through this time of conflict and suffering without losing your confidence and your confession and your joyful demeanor? What got you through that? Well, he says it in verse number 34. And notice what he says the last part of the verse. Knowing that you have for yourselves a better profession and a lasting one. You have better possession and a lasting one. See, that's what you do. You know something. You know you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. And that knowing here is to know positively. 
I know. I am the owner of things that are permanent. I know that I am, I have treasure far better than the best I could hold on this earth where moth cannot destroy, where rust cannot decay, where robber cannot take away. And that is my faith in my relationship with Jesus Christ. And I say to you, brethren, only believers can respond to the whole of life like this. Only believers. Because when this comes, if you're not a believer, you're going to hightail it out of there. You're going to say, I do not need this. I'm gone. But a believer perseveres, knowing that his good Lord has sovereignly chosen these sufferings to mature you, to make you strong, to build sympathy into your soul for other people. To show that you have a joy that no one could take away, nothing could take away, even though you may be suffering outwardly. It's just like the mariners who realize, the sailors who realize when two, two oceans, two bodies of water come together, there's usually a very strong top current, and underneath is a very strong undercurrent. One going one way, one going the other way. And the other, the two currents do not collide, but actually go on top and below each other. It's like the Christian. The Christian, everything going wrong on the surface, but below, beneath, there's an undercurrent. There's the undercurrent of the joy of the Lord, of the rejoicing in the Spirit, of the great things that God has given you in salvation as you're learning them and realizing this affliction, suffering, humiliation is good for me and it will only be for a time. He will get me through it. He will build character into my soul and in building character, He will give me endurance to continue to press on to my heavenly calling. So see, the sixth thing that is gained is the promise of heavenly realities. He says in verse 34, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession, a lasting one. In other words, one that does not fade away, does not rust, cannot be stolen from you. You know, I recently read a story, a short story, by a local church pastor who uh, it was about a young girl. Her, her name was Margaret. Margaret attended his church, and he says that this woman truly bore witness to God's grace. The pastor said that she was confined to a wheelchair for most of her adult life, and that Margaret lived in a body that was contorted and misshapen, ravaged by multiple sclerosis, and she spoke softly and often slurring her words barely with audible grunts. She drooled constantly and was in pain most of her waking hours. But she loved Jesus and she never missed church. Sunday morning, Sunday evening, midweek prayer meeting, 
special gatherings, Margaret was always there and always in a neatly pressed dress. One night, the pastor was conducting a forum, uh, asking questions and facilitating a dialogue with a group of about 20 people. He asked the people to tell them, uh, tell their favorite Bible verse or some passage of Scripture that was personally meaningful to them. Several people offered verses. After many people spoke, Margaret let him know that she wanted to say something. Most of the people had to recite the verses from memory. Others had opened up the scriptures and read them. Since Margaret could not read or speak, the pastor looked up the verse that she wanted for the group and read it for her. And this was the passage in Psalm 119 and verse 71. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. Margaret smiled broadly and nodded her head. Her wheelchair and her life was a testimony to God's grace and to someone who sees very clearly with the eyes of faith. Chapter 11 of Hebrews is all about faith. Do you think that you would ever grow in faith without being in the circumstances where you had to trust God? There is no such thing as faith without trusting God in a circumstance that is impossible. Something that you have to endure. Something that you don't want to go through. So the very truth that is going to get you and I through every conflict, every tribulation, every suffering, every humiliation, and bring us to heaven is the promise that our great God who tells us the truth cannot lie. And as he already said in Hebrews, those who have been called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance and then in hebrews 11 but as it is they desire a better country that is a heavenly one therefore god is not ashamed to be called their god for he has prepared a city for them brethren only believers can respond to the whole of life like this only those who have said this that i am not ashamed for i know that whom I have believed, I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Only believers. So if you want to have assurance of salvation, it's not going to be apart from suffering. It's not going to be apart from trouble. There's one passage that I want you to turn to. Turn to 1 Peter for a minute, chapter 4. That's the next book right after Hebrews. No, 1 Peter, James, Hebrews, James, 1 Peter. And notice in verse number 4, because the apostle mentions the grand comfort of the Christian while being sore, stricken, and depressed. It is so sweet to hope that living or dying, look at verse number four, there is 
to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. So this is how a person who is in this state shakes off his heaviness and begins to sing, Oh, Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast the wishful eye. We sing this in the song. To Canaan's fair and happy land, where my possessions lies. The Bible is telling us, listen, I live with the thought of heaven. I live with the thought of what is coming, what God has promised me. And I live that how? By faith. When someday it will turn to sight. And then notice in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, in this passage, possibly the greatest encouragement and hope to the Christian in heaviness, that it says this, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In other words, he is, and we are not kept by our own power, but by the power of God, and that he is not, and we are not left to keep ourselves. We are kept by the Most High God. What a comforting thought that is. When we are under the pressure of times like this, and even when we know all the theology behind it, because, brethren, doctrine tells us what we have. Trials, tribulations, and humilities prove to us what we know and what we have and what we are. And no one could take that from them. That's why people can die for their faith. That's why people can suffer for their faith. That's why people can go to a foreign country and leave all their possessions to go and serve Christ. Because they know there is a greater weight of glory for them. They, they know that beyond the shadow, a shadow of a doubt. Now, with all that in your mind, turn back to Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verse number 35. So, you see, if you think seriously about what you have gained by being in Christ, you will conclude that it would be utterly foolish to throw away so precious and valuable a gift as salvation So here is the logical imperative in verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. That's why he told them to consider the weight and the details of the suffering they went to. So they know. That's why I shouldn't throw away my confidence in Christ and my profession and my, my, what the Lord's been doing in my life because God's been building me all along. He's been there all along strengthening me. He's been there building character into me. He's been there making me like Him. That's what He's been doing. And believe me, if anything gives you confidence, it's going to be Christ-likeness that you even see in yourself. Man, I wouldn't have responded like that a year ago. But now, I want to respond the way God wants me to respond and please Him. 
That's what I want to do. And so, brethren, in verse 36, this is what I'll pick up next week. For you have need of what? Endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is, was promised. That's what I'll pick up next week. So I encourage you to search and to look at this matter more seriously. To look into your own life. Since you have received the light, if you receive the light of the gospel, if you know that you are a believer in Jesus Christ, and then after you become a believer, what trouble have you gone through since you received Christ? What family trouble and struggles? What struggles in work? What struggles in your own soul that has come about because you became a believer? I say to people, you know what? Before I became a believer, I was never, I didn't even know what depression was. I was kind of like a happy-go-lucky little kid, you know, I, you know, I guess I, uh, you know, and, but I became a believer, and boom, bam, I get hit with this deep, deep valley. And I'm saying, I mustn't be a believer. That's what I was thinking. I mustn't be a believer. Maybe God's forsaken me, and, and he's left me alone. And God brought me back to Scripture and taught me, no. I'm building you. Out of that deep time of depression came very serious decisions in my life. Very serious decisions. And I know, for me, depression is almost like a prophet. That's what Spurgeon said to, about his thing. And I, I didn't want to believe when he said that. But it's, it's, like, it's like a prophet. Lord, what are you teaching me? What sin needs to get out of my life what what characteristic that you want to build into me that i haven't been i've been bucking against what is it lord that you want me to do that's the way i begin to think now before i didn't think that way spiritual depression is real why i have an enemy against my soul because I have, I'm in Christ. I have the world against me and the trend and thinking of the world against me and my own flesh doesn't cooperate with my spiritual walk. Right? And you know what? You have the same problem. So see, we're in the same boat. But when we get a handle on this paradox in the Christian life that in the middle of suffering, there is still rejoicing. Because God's working, he's doing a good work in you, right? And he's going to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's going to finish it. He started your book and he's going to write the last chapter. I'm telling you, Jesus is the right author and finisher of your faith. That's where Hebrews is heading. But it's not. Don't ever think there's not a chapter that doesn't include suffering. Matter of fact, most chapters do. Now, I'm not, asking to say, I'm not going to ask you to say amen to that. But I do want to say this first to real believers. You are on this earth. You are on this path on this earth. That leads to the consummation of your salvation. Don't wander off. Don't stop. Keep going. 
Keep showing godly diligence in the hope that God will keep His promises and preserve you until that final day. That's what He's going to do. That's why when I get to this passage, He says this in verse number 39, But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the persevering of the soul, That's who we are. That's what real believers are. And secondly, to those who don't know where you're at yet, search to see whether you are right in your spirits, whether it is well with you to venture into an eternal state as you are right now, possibly doubting whether you're a believer. Possibly thinking, you know, I've never repented of my sin and turned and trusted Christ and took the only remedy that I could possibly take to make me right with him. I pray that God give you grace. That you may feel the need of a savior. And that you may seek Christ and lay hold on him and become a child of God today. And if you have done that, then the next step is to follow the Lord in believer's baptism to make it public before the whole congregation that you have confessed Christ as your Lord and Savior and you desire to follow him your whole life and you enter the body of believers. Right? There are no secret disciples. There are disciples who are part of the body right and are functioning and growing in the body so when that day comes where you may go through deep troubling waters you're not going to do it alone you're going to do it with a whole body behind you with people praying for you with people sympathizing and empathizing with you with with people going in and bearing your burdens with you why? Because they, some of them have been there, but they understand in the spirit that's what God wants them to do, and we get each other out of these times. We grow together, and we give God the glory. Why? Because it proves our confession in Christ is real. It's true. And we become strong, and nobody can take that away. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you this morning for your great people. Thank you, Lord, for your great word. Because I know, Lord, that if it wasn't for your word, we wouldn't know what you really wanted. We wouldn't know what to really experience. And especially, Lord, we would not know how to deal with suffering or where to hang it. But Lord, because of your word, we understand clearly. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us through every circumstances that we are going to come in contact with in our life. And I pray, Lord, that we would get through to the glory of God and that we would bear it like soldiers. Because you have a hold on us and you have given us the church body. 
and you've given us promises for the future that will not receive in their fullness until we're in your presence. And so, Lord, we thank you for telling us these things so we can live life with joy intact and with a strong testimony and perseverance that you're building into us by your Spirit. Thank you, Lord, again. We give you the praise. We give you the honor. We give you the glory for all that you'll accomplish for the greatness of your name. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.